Good morning. Yes, here we go. Freshly baked bread. For those that just smelled it coming up the aisle, you want to join me? Oh, wow. This smells really good and nice and toasty. You know, when I my first position coming right out of college was in the what they call the boot heel of Missouri. The boot heel is this little southeast corner that where the Mississippi River and the Ohio River meet. And, uh, and you have on one side Illinois, on another side you have Tennessee, and then you have Arkansas right there. It's all these states kind of come together in that spot. It's considered a part of the Deep South. So when I took this apprenticeship to a three-month three full-time position down there to have my first taste of leading something right out of college, uh, many people were having me over for dinner. And that southern hospitality, have you heard that phrase before? That southern hospitality was on full display. The first house I went to was, was an older couple, and they, they had me come in, and, and the, first, the, the table was just beautifully set. I had not seen a table quite so beautifully set like that before and she had all the fine china out and then she brought out from the oven fresh bread and that smell of fresh bread is very intoxicating uh, you you it draws you in right and then she said then she placed this beautifully whipped butter right in front of me and uh, so I, I she gently cut the, the bread and and then she says now try this butter and and when I put the butter on and I tasted it my eyes lit up because I'd never had anything like that before. It was honey butter. Now, I think you can find that some places around here, but I, in the South, it's very common, and especially on their cornbread. They love putting honey butter on their cornbread in the South. And, and so as I'm spraying this on, I, I was like, give me another piece. I kept wanting more. But I, I tell you, that dinner was like the first of many, and I felt very quickly a part of the community of that church. I'd never lived in the South before. I'd been in, in the upper Midwest. And, and so, uh, you know, for me, this was a, a totally different experience, experiencing the South in that manner. But there was just something about bread that was in that area. So in that uh, place, there's I-55 and I-57 converge in a town called Sykeston, Missouri. And in Sykeston, Missouri, there is a restaurant called Lambert's. And Lambert's is a, what they call the home of the throwed roll. So it was about my second week on the job, and somebody says, I got to take you to Lambert's. And I'm like, great. So we, we show up, and they said, now, you like baseball, right? And I said, yeah, I, I, I've coached it and so on. And they said, well, wait till you experience Lambert's. And I'm like, all right. So we we uh, show up, and my back was towards kind of the kitchen area. And all of a sudden, the person in front of me puts their hand up. And whizzing by my ear was a roll being thrown to them, and they caught it. And it was hot, and it was, uh, smelled good. And they started eating. I'm like, what just happened? He said, put your hand up and look that way. I put my hand up, and the next thing I know, I'm getting a roll chucked at me. Explains the reason for the sign, the home of the throwed roll. 
And so literally they would come out with this big bin of rolls that were hot and would just, like as soon as you'd catch it, your fingers would sink in to the bread because it was so soft. And, and so then right there on the table, there was honey butter already waiting for us. And, and so I fell in love with hot bread and honey butter while living at that, uh, at that town called Charleston, Missouri. And so I, I've really gotten to this place. When I smell hot bread, I immediately think of Charleston, Missouri. So it's, it's just a fun experience. But then you start thinking about how bread is used regularly in Scripture. And so I'm actually going to uh, suggest something that bread literally is God's invitation to you and I. That bread, hot bread in particular, is God's invitation to you and I. And I'm going to kind of walk us through a biblical journey to prove my point. And so we're going to go to Exodus uh, chapter 25. And so if you do not have a Bible with you, our ushers will be glad to provide you one. And, uh, and we will be on page, I believe it is like 75 in that book, uh, for Exodus chapter 25. If you do not own a Bible, please take this as a gift from us. Exodus 25, and, and to give you a little context, this is God's description uh, given to Israel on, on what kind of tabernacle or temple that he wanted uh, to be done in his name. So literally, God designed his own house. He gave the, the uh, instructions uh, to the Israelites on how to build this house for him. And in particular, he gave dimensions and, and even materials there to use in building some of those pieces that were in the temple. Now, if you know anything about the temple is that there's an outer area outside the main temple that is where the sacrifices would happen. And then you would go in to a, a doorway that would come into the part that's just outside the Holy of Holies. And in that outer area, there were several elements of, of, uh, of, of pieces that all had meaning that was to uh, prepare you for going in. If you were a priest, to go into that special place, that inner part called the Holy of Holies. And that was only done once a year. So it was a very special place to go into the fullness of God's presence. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant resided, was in that Holy of Holies. But before you could walk into the Holy of Holies, there was a table. And God very, gave very specific instructions about this table that gives meaning to what Jesus Christ actually provides for you and I. So in Exodus chapter 25, verse 23, it says, Make a table of acacia wood, two cubits long, a cubit wide, a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold and make a gold molding around it. Also, make around it a rim, a handbreadth, wide and put a gold molding on the rim. Make four gold rings for the table and fasten them to the four corners where the four legs are. The rings are to be close to the rim to hold the poles used for carrying the table. Make the poles of acacia wood, overlay them with gold and carry the table with them. And make its plates and dishes of pure gold as well. As its pitchers and bowls for the pouring out of offerings... Then put the bread of the presence on this table to be before me at all times. 
So this table was literally put before God. That was his instruction. It's to be put right before me. So in other words, there's the Holy of Holies. It's a small room where the full presence of God would be. It would only be entered in once a year by the priest. That priest would fast for days on end and prepare their heart for going into the presence of God and, and to uh, beckon God on behalf of the people of Israel. But before he could go in there, he would pass by the bread of presence that was on this table. Now, it's interesting to note that those dimensions that were given by God about this table was a table that's about three feet long. Now, this table is four feet long. All right? So just take a foot off. So three feet long. And it was a one and a half feet wide. And this one's two feet wide. So it's, this is close. And then it was two and a quarter feet tall. That's where it gets interesting, right? Two and a quarter feet tall. That would be um, about six inches lower than what this table is right now. Now, the purpose of that, because at those times, the tables weren't at chair height. Because they didn't eat at the table with chairs, they would have cushions around the table. And they would recline around the table. So tables at that time were much lower to the ground. And so if you were to lie on your side with your hip up and your arm propping you up, a table at about two and a quarter feet of height would be perfect to reach up and be able to grab food uh, for eating. And so this table was much more like the stereotypical table at that time in the Middle East. Now the plates and the dishes were a pure gold. The table itself had gold all over it and it had certain trimmings uh, to give it its unique meaning. But this table in particular was to host the bread of presence. The bread of the presence. And this bread was to be before him at all time. Now this bread was 12 loaves, all right? And the 12 loaves were put onto six each onto two plates. So you had a stack of six loaves of bread on one plate and a stack of, of bread of, with six loaves on another plate. And those pieces of bread, those loaves of bread, were replaced every Sabbath. So on the, on, the, on the day of worship, the bread was brought in hot and warm and therefore aromatic. So when the priest would go in on that day, there would be a smell, an aroma that would draw them to that place. And so the closer you got to the Holy of Holies, the more aromatic the bread is. And right now, I am smelling this bread. It's beautiful. It draws me in. I want to sit down, and I want somebody to go make some honey butter for me. Uh, maybe we have it over there. I don't know. But, you know, it's, it's, it's meant to draw in. And so what's interesting about this is this bread of the presence was also known as Showbread. Now it's spelled S-H-E-W, pronounced show. And it means in the Hebrew to cause or to permit. So this bread is to cause something and to permit something. It's a, it's a showbread. And so with it being called the bread of the presence, it was to cause you to come near. And it was to give you permission to come near as well. So with the bread of the presence being put on a table right before you would enter into the Holy of Holies, it is an aromatic smell that is saying, 
you should come near, all right? It's, it's causing you to want to go near because the smell of it, it draws you in. And so you want to come near. It causes you to come near. And it says you have permission to come near. It's inviting. Just in the same way that when I was at that woman's table on, on like my second night at this church, putting out this great spread, when she put that bread out, any sense of barrier was almost eliminated. It was permission to enjoy fellowship with her and her husband at this table and to enjoy interacting and, and getting to know one another. It was to cause me to want to be there and to give permission to come near them and to get to know them. And so showbread is literally meant to be the same thing. It is also, if you take the, the, the terminology bread of the presence, in the Hebrew, it literally is if you transliterate it, it would mean bread of the face. Now, that's an interesting Hebrew phrase, bread of the face. But what it's basically connotating is that in the same way today, if we were to say, yeah, let's talk about that, you could talk about it by phone. You could talk about it via email. You could talk about it in a lot of different manners. But when somebody says, let's get together and, and talk about it face to face, it's a lot more personal, isn't it? It's very different from any other way of communicating. When we say face-to-face, -face, it is saying, it is, we are going to be in presence with one another. So this bread is literally saying, it's the bread of face. It's, it's literally God coming face-to-face -face with you. It's his place at the table wanting to have personal presence with you. Starting to capture a little bit of the picture here is that when God created this temple, he wanted to now create a space by which people would be caused to want to go near to God, and God saying, come. It's an invitation to come, and on, in that, it's, it's very personal. It's, it's a personalized presence. And so as the priests would go into that room and they would see this table and smell the bread before the Lord. They knew they had permission to come near to God. And it was going to be a presence, a face-to-face -face encounter with God. It also symbolizes with what uh, many scholars have said, and I liked how uh, this one uh, encyclopedia put it, that it symbolizes, and it does mean this to the Hebrew culture, that life is dependent on God's sustaining presence. So this bread and coming to him, realizing he is the source of all life, and that he wants to come face to face with us, and that he wants, invites us to come near it re you start to realize when you come near to God, he is the sustaining presence of life. He is what sustains me. He is the one that gives me breath. He is the one that gives me cause for what to live for each and every day. That's what presence means. So you have this showbread, the bread of the presence, which drew you in and caused you to want to come near and for permission to come near and to have a face-to-face -face encounter that is personal with God. This carries over, and it's a foreshadowing of what's going to be manifested in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So I want us to turn now to John chapter 6. 
John chapter 6, and I believe it is on page 999 in the Bibles that were handed out. John chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 48 to 51. And I want to explain just a little bit of context. Jesus is talking to a group of people. This is a season of time where he makes many comments as to who he is. I am the light of the world. And then he says, in this case, I am the bread of life. And there's meaning to that. And they understood it because of the experience of what happened in the temple. And keep in mind, all the practices of the temple. The idea that a table is to be outside that holy of holies, the inner room. And that that table is to have bread on it that is warm and, and, and bites you in. And all the meanings that come with that. All of that was by the instructions of God. So God and his son Jesus Christ understand very fully the invitation of this table. And so do the Hebrew people after centuries of practicing worship in the temple. They understood what bread meant in their culture. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, this is a significant statement that they would understand would be an invitation to the presence of God. So let's begin by reading verse 47 of John chapter 6. It says, Very truly, I tell you that the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am that living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, this is earlier on in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Think about the table of communion. Right? The, the table of remembrance. Why do you think it's referred to as communion? I mean, think about what the word is the root of. Community. And what is community? It's presence. It's people being together. And this is a table of remembrance that draws people together under one remembrance. And who is it remembering? It's remembering the bread of presence. The bread of life that came from heaven. And so Jesus becomes the bread, literal bread of the presence. The face of God before all of humanity. So everything that was communicated through the showbread for all those centuries now has been made literal. It's no longer figurative. It is now literal as Jesus becomes the showbread. He is the cause to want somebody to come near to God and he is the one that permits somebody who, to draw near to God. And then when we partake of that bread, in remembrance of him, he is saying that you now have life, that you have this opportunity, the bread that symbolizes all this, that when you partake with Jesus, you are now personally invited forever into the family of God in presence, face to face with God. And so with this, Jesus has become the living bread. No longer do you have to have a figurative 
aroma of hot bread to communicate that which desires? It, God then has made that literal by sending his very son to be that table, which is the living bread. He is the presence of God. He is the face of God that is manifested before the entire world. And he says, it's for our everyone, for all those who will come to him and partake of that bread. And he is this table. So when you think about it, in order for any of us to go before God and to worship and to find freedom to be in the presence of God without fear, that only comes because Jesus is the curtain by which we can enter. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, His blood has become the new curtain. The curtain was the separation between the Holy of Holies and the room that had the bread of the presence. And so Jesus has now literally become the threshold by which we can be drawn into the presence of God and experience the presence of God by invitation. So he is the new table. And he therefore gives us permission to come near to God. If we don't have Jesus as part of our storyline, then we would still have to have bread as a figurative invitation to come into the presence of God. But we don't have to have that anymore. Jesus is the bread of life. He is the one that has drawn us in and said, I now have invited you into my presence and, and therefore you can come freely without fear as it says in Hebrews chapter 10. So then he comes as the presence to give life as it says, that's his purpose, is to give you and I life which is what happens when you come face to face with God and you survive, is you actually receive life because of the work of Christ. Now, let me turn the tables back. Because if you saw in your bulletin, this particular message is about hospitality. And you've got to be thinking, what in the world are we talking about the bread of the presence in the temple and then somehow attaching it to this idea of hospitality. And why does then hospitality matter in four weeks that we're, we've been talking about what is the purpose of LEFC and the church? Especially as we're going into new changes, what, what are the most important things that are inherent in our character? And hospitality is one of our greatest expressions of, of opportunity to advance the gospel. So let me build the case for it coming off of the bread of life, the bread of presence. In Matthew chapter 9, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to share the story. In Matthew chapter 9, Matthew tells his own story. And in that story, he is a tax collector. He is sitting at his tax booth. He is collecting money from people, likely stealing from people because that's why tax collectors were not liked is because they would take the tax from people that Rome wanted. And then Rome turned a blind eye when they would ask for a little bit more. So they'd pad their own pockets with the excesses that they would ask for when somebody would come to that booth. So they were despised Jews. They were not liked. They were seen as turncoats. They were seen as ones that had turned their back on their fellow man and their fellow tribal men. And so Matthew was at his tax booth when Jesus comes by and says, simply, follow me. That's all he says. Jesus says to him, follow me. 
And it says that Matthew got up immediately and began to follow him. As part of following him, then there became an opportunity that, that led to that evening. But let me speak a little bit more to the context. Why would Matthew all of a sudden give up his career and just begin to follow him at the mere invitation of follow me? You see, up to that point, it has already been determined and been spoken of about Jesus that he is being criticized for who he eats at the table with. And the people he's been eating dinner with are tax collectors and sinners. Now, it's interesting, is tax collectors, okay, those are the ones that have rejected their own people and are stealing from their own people. But sinners were those who were Gentiles, non-Jews. So Jesus was known for eating dinner with people who are not Jewish, and those who were Jewish were ones that Jews didn't like. That was his crowd. That's who he sat at the table with. And it says regularly, why is it that you welcome tax collectors and sinners? So they understood the spirit. They saw the spirit of Jesus. He welcomes them. There's a positive attitude from Jesus to this type of people. So this moment happens. Matthew already knows the reputation of Jesus, that he's been welcoming tax collectors into their homes. And he has eaten with them. He's shown kindness to them. And he'd been teaching public, publicly, so it's possible that Matthew had already heard him speak many times. So when this invitation came directly to him, he leaped at it. Absolutely. And then what happens next in the text is it says that Jesus went to his house, to Matthew's house, at his table, and began to eat with a whole slew of tax collectors. You see, the only friends a tax collector could have, because their fellow Jew wouldn't like them, wouldn't receive them, so it was fellow tax collectors. So let's welcome them into the table. So when Matthew had the opportunity to follow Jesus and to have him at his own home, he invited all his friends his oikos, which we talk about regularly here. That's that Greek term that the Bible uses to define our relational world. And so for Matthew, his oikos, his relational world, were fellow tax collectors. And so I'm now following Jesus. Who am I going to invite to my table? I'm going to invite fellow tax collectors. And so Jesus comes to Matthew's table and is in his house and then the great accusation comes because it wasn't just tax collectors that followed Jesus around. It were those who were watching him, keeping a keen eye to see if we can trip him up and have him arrested and have that mantle of popularity removed. And there were those same kind of people at Matthew's table that night. And they asked, Jesus, why is it that you welcome tax collectors and sinners to your table? Why do you welcome them? And then Jesus responds with a classic statement. It's not those who are healthy or well that need a doctor. It's those who are sick, who are in need of a doctor. You see, he knew that society would say they are in trouble. These men who are tax collectors, they're liars, they're cheaters, and they steal from their own people. Everybody understood 
They needed help. And so Jesus chose to use that phrase as his response. It's those who are sick who need the doctor. What do you think the tax collector felt that night? Do you feel like they felt rejection from this great teacher, this man of influence? No, they felt welcomed for perhaps the first time in years. So they drew near to him. They sat at his table. They broke bread with him at his table. And so in this case, Matthew, who is now following Jesus, has used his table as an invitation to fellow tax collectors to come near to God, to come near to Jesus. Now think about it. If somebody's sitting at your table and, you're, and they're now in your house, it's hard to cover over who you really are when somebody's sitting at your table. Now sometimes when people come to sit at our table, we have to make sure that our manners are a little better than normal. Because if there's not other people at our table, the behavior perhaps between my children and my wife and I might be a little different than if there was a guest at the table. You know what I mean? If I have something that causes me to want to belch, I belch. But if there's somebody at my table, I withhold. And it gets painful. Or if my son forgets we have somebody at the table and he chooses to do it in that moment, we're like looking at him like, no, not, not, not tonight. Please, not tonight. You know what I mean? When you bring somebody to the table, there's something about that moment where you are trying to show who you are, but there are things that maybe your behavior is modified. But as time goes on at the table, you can't help but be you. It's an opportunity to say, come near to us. When people come into our home, they might have come in thinking distant. But as soon as you sit at a table and you've begun to eat and you're talking, you've, you've said, I want you to come near to me. If you're at my table, come near. Be in our presence. And let's talk about who we really are as people. You see, Jesus made this comment in Matthew chapter 5. It'll be on the screen. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light Shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and then glorify your Father who is in heaven. You know, it's interesting that when you think about, Jesus had just said, I am the light of the world before he says this, and then he says, but now you are the light of the world. Jesus has said, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of this bread, <laughs> they will not die. Whoever partakes with me will not die. But that bread was meant as symbolism to come near. It's that presence. It's the bread of the face that says, come face to face. Come and be near. And then you will then be able to partake and understand how this bread can give life. So as 
you and I, if we have had that encounter with Jesus where we've come near and we've partaken of this bread because we realize that Jesus is the means by which we're reconciled back to God, then we have become the opportunity to provide a table to invite people to come near. Jesus is the light of the world. And then he says, and so now are you. I am the bread of life that says, come near. There's an invitation to come near to God. So now you, having participated in that bread, are now the bread of the presence that says, come near to God. There is an invitation to come close to God. And all of this, as it says in this text, that it is for the purpose of the soul. You see, God wants to transform us to be like him so that we grow more and more like him each and every day so that our behaviors are more like Christ. And as a result, people begin to become near us. It's like that salt that it says here that you're the salt of the earth. When you taste a little bit of salt, you want a little bit more of it. And when you're the light, nothing's hidden. It says this is who we are. So our table becomes that. So as I look forward as a church, practicing hospitality begins with a welcoming spirit. That as a church, if we're going to be truly a hospitable church, that when people come in, do they smell the aroma of Christ? Do they, they in their encounter, feel like they've encountered somebody who says, come near to Christ? Their life says, come near to God. Their life says, come and sit near me. You see, I believe our welcoming spirit is the means by which people will draw near to God. As God did provide a people in our lives to to provide that opportunity of invitation, their lives showed something different. And as a result, we began to ask questions. And then it began to reveal our need for Jesus because Jesus is the source of life in their life. And then it became an invitation to draw near to them so that we could draw near to God. Our hospitality, that which is an invitation to come near, is one of the greatest means by which people will encounter Jesus Christ. So this all begins at home. Each of you have a table that you eat at. Sometimes that table is in the kitchen. Other times it's in a dining room. But that table is an opportunity for mission. It's an opportunity to place bread on the table food on the table that has an aroma, inviting people to it and inviting them to sit at the table and an invitation to come near to your life. And as they come near to your life, it's an opportunity for them to come near to your Savior. So it begins at home. Secondly, if our lives are that of a welcoming spirit, then here at church, should it not shine most brightly? Do you realize that even though we may not know certain people in our society, in our culture, or in our region, they will probably come and visit our church some point because they're curious. What is this building they just built? I mean, a lot of people have been driving 772 for years and didn't even know a church was on this corner. And so now they can't miss it. There's something there. And so they're curious. They're going to come. 
So my question is, if you come to your chair and there's a stranger in the chair that you normally sit in, what spirit will you give? You know what I mean? So here at the church, that welcoming spirit can be the invitation to draw near to God and to draw near to his family that he calls his own. But if we lack a hospitable spirit, then we're just adding to the barriers for somebody knowing that God truly wants them to come near. And they're going to think, if that's who God is, that's not what I want. And lastly, the hospitable spirit, that welcoming spirit, quite frankly, should go wherever your feet take you. So if you work in a cubicle in an office, is there a chair next to your desk that is a welcoming chair? Do you have a welcoming spirit? If you are a medical professional, is there a welcoming spirit wherever room you go into that would cause others to say whatever is inside of you, I want to get near to that? You see, hospitality is one of the greatest weapons of God to draw people's hearts near to him. And so it's been a prayer for me that as I have come into this area, that my house would be a house of invitation. But it's also been an opportunity. It's like, Lord, wherever my feet take me, can I be hospitable and open where people feel invited to come near to God? So I hope that you've heard this and realized you have a table of presence in your own home. Invite people to it. Or you have a desk of presence wherever you work. Invite people to it. Let people come near so that as they come near to you, that which is dear to you be drawn by their heart to them. Because the Lord wants people to come near so that they can experience his love and his power and his radiant salvation that he wants to transform a person's life. Let's pray. So Jesus, I know that you are the bread of life and I know sometimes the aroma of our lives doesn't smell so good. We keep people at a distance sometimes. Sometimes we are just like we don't want our, our time to be intruded upon. And so Lord, forgive us because we are fortunate if we've had a relationship with you. So would you Steve, with, help us see with new eyes the opportunity to invite people to come near so that they can experience your invitation to come near to you. We do so to your glory, not for our own. But we do need your help, Lord, to have different heart and different vision for this. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're new here this morning, we welcome you. Hopefully you've enjoyed being a part of us here this morning, and hopefully you've experienced a welcoming spirit of hospitality. We want you to feel like this is a place where truly we are all seeking the presence of God and wanting to be in his presence because that's who's changed our lives. And so that invitation is always out. And speaking of that, that's why we invite people to our home that are new. And so if you are new to our church, you are welcome 
to our table at our house next weekend. We just ask that you would sign up online uh, to be a part of that. I know a lot of changes are coming. In fact, we're going to speak to that next week. One of the things that people have asked is, what does the new logo of the church mean? Do you want to know? Okay, well, you guys are really silent. It's okay. So the round circle is actually the symbol of rock. And the gable roof is the symbol of house. House on the rock. Because we believe that God, through his son Jesus Christ, he's the rock that we are built upon. And that's where we stand by faith. And we want to build households upon that rock as we seek to live out the mission of God. And so... If you've been around at all, you'll know that the new building, in order to even get it out there, we had to pound a lot of rock out of the ground. So literally, that house is about as on sturdy a rock as you're going to find in this area. About 100 yards away, we have sinkholes. We didn't build over there, just so you know. <laughs> but we want that place. It's been created so that we have space because we're expecting a harvest. And that means we want to be hospitable, a welcoming spirit. So may your table and my table and the church's table be welcoming to all who enter because they're all in the need of a relationship with Jesus Christ and we need to come near. If you'd like to pray with someone, there'll be somebody underneath the cross that'll be on my right, your left, that'd be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, go, having received a part of the bread. And if you want, these loaves are free for the taking if you'd like to take one home. Don't rush me before I get off the stage. You're dismissed. God bless.